are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Good morning. Exodus 14, 10 through 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. There were Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and got to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt? that you brought us to the desert to die. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Luke 15, 17 through 24. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. All right. Thank you, Heather. And Heather was also the delivery person on these cinnamon rolls yesterday. So we appreciate that, Heather. I understand there's extras. So on your way out, make sure you bring one over to a neighbor. Save one for breakfast tomorrow. I'm glad we could celebrate that way. Mike Bradley is going to come on up front, and I'm going to introduce him as he does. Many of you know that we have two connections within the global church family. One is an informal network of churches just like ours across the country and the world that are in YMCAs. So that world mission network has been a wonderful ministry context for us. The other and the formal connection is we are part of a group called Lutheran Congregations and Mission for Christ. And that is this network across the Twin Cities and global congregations as well. And that's our church home. Most churches in YMCAs do have a connection somewhere to a denomination. That is for the sake of doctrinal accountability and healthy ministry standards. So we are really overjoyed to call LCMC our home. And today we're introducing us to Mike Bradley. He's the National Director for LCMC. He brings 40-plus years of leadership and ministry experience, having served congregations in Nebraska and South Dakota as a youth pastor, worship leader, associate pastor, and senior pastor. He's also served as president of the Master's Institute Seminary for 10 years, and most recently as the director for the Alliance of Renewal Churches. Mike is passionate about helping leaders and congregations create an atmosphere that is a safe place for developing healthy leaders and disciples in the church. 
and for equipping God's people for lives of effective witness and ministry in the world. Mike enjoys sports of all kinds, having served as a high school basketball and baseball coach while serving in Rapid City, South Dakota. He and his wife of 42 years, Debbie, enjoy reading, hiking, and swimming. Mike enjoys the occasional golf outing. They have five adult children and three grandsons, Michael, Isaac, and Lucas. Mike and Debbie live in Gilbert, Arizona. That's our table question today about Arizona, where they also have a three-year-old white Labrador, Maggie May. Let's give Mike a Y Church welcome this morning. Well, good morning, everybody. Our white lab, Maggie May, guess what music I used to listen to? Still do, as a matter of fact. Debbie is now my wife of 43 years as of last Thursday. Somebody asked her if, you know, do you think this thing's going to last? And she said, I've put too much time into training it to let it go now. So here's the deal. She couldn't be here this week with me because she had an opportunity to travel to see our grandsons for the first time in over a year. So grandsons, Mike, grandsons, guess who won that? She told me she went out to see our grandsons. The oldest is named Michael, nine years old, and he'd grown quite a bit in over a year. She said to him, Michael, you've grown a foot. And he thought about it and looked down and said, no, Grandma, I still just got two. So anyway, I promised Debbie I'd take a picture, okay? And I'm going to take this picture. I'm going to put it on my Facebook page to introduce you and brag about you to the whole LCMC family. So I'm going to count this down to three. And when I do, in fact, why don't we all stand up right now if you're able, and when I count it down to three, just wave at everybody in the LCMC and at Debbie, okay? So here we go. We're one, two, three. Yeah, say hi, everybody. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Bjorn, for the invitation to be here. I really am happy to be here, and, and great to reconnect with your mom again, your pastor mom. Thank you, the Y Church, for everything you're doing for the kingdom of God. Thank you for all the ways, so many ways that I'm not even aware of, that you're, you're impacting people with God's love and God's power. I can tell that's your heartbeat. You've done that today through this partnership with the Seed Company, which is just a great, great partnership. And, and, and now just think, the Gospel of Mark will be able to be in people's hands and to be able to be read by them. Thank you for all the other ways that you're doing that. I especially want to thank Josh for his work with student ministries. I'm a 20-year veteran of youth and family ministries. And Josh, I just want to say, I am your future. So, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not very good with a prophetic gift, so maybe that won't happen. Okay, so... But thank you so much for the chance to be here with you this morning. There's a message that I think the Lord has been prompting in my heart and in my mind. And I think it's a message to be shared throughout our entire association. So we have about a thousand churches here in the United States and overseas. We have a strong relationship with churches in Ethiopia in particular, the Makana Jesus, and in Kenya and Tanzania, and in that eastern rim of Africa, as well as other countries. And I think this is a message that the Lord wants me to hear, 
and wants all of us to hear, and it's simply this, don't settle for less. I think it's an exhortation God wants to stir in us. Don't settle for less. But unfortunately, the experience of God's people throughout history, and even still yet today, left to ourselves, we contend for all kinds of reasons to settle for less. Now, God first began to mention this to me in my coffee time with Jesus. So Maggie May often joins me in the coffee time for Jesus. Now, I hope you know Jesus loves coffee. Everybody know that? I attended Fuller Seminary, a less, lesser seminary than Bjorn attended at Talbot. But I studied Greek, like Bjorn did, and we both know that in the Gospel of John, the Greek word for water, where Jesus transforms water into wine, that's been mistranslated for centuries. That's actually the Greek word for Sumatra coffee. Hopefully they're, they're going to get it right when the Gospel of John is translated for, for the people. It's Sumatra coffee. So I, I get up in the morning. I make a good, strong pot of coffee. Maggie May joins me. And I sit down to have what I call my coffee time with Jesus. That's when I meet with him in his word. Because that's one thing the Bible has become to me over the years is a meeting place. Not just a book of books to be studied and taught and preached, but a meeting place, a, a coffee shop where I can sit down with Jesus and get to know him and he can get to know me and reveal me to myself. And so I sit down and meet with him in his word and in prayer. I, most of the time I, I pour two cups of coffee, by the way, one for Jesus and one for me. And Jesus is so generous, he lets me drink his cup of coffee after I'm done with mine. And one morning, I was meeting with him in Exodus chapter 14, and we had that scripture read to us today. This passage where the people of God are caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place. The Red Sea on one side, and Pharaoh's army on the other. And Pharaoh has decided yet again he's going to come after the people of Israel. And in that passage, as it was read for us, we understand that the people got nervous. So they're on their way, just as you and I are. They're on their way in a journey with God. And just as it's true in your life and in mine, there's a direction. There's a purpose that God is leading them for. God never just calls us from something he always calls us to something they're being called to move in to the promised land and to be that witness to be that blessing that God talked about in Genesis chapter 12 the first three verses that that they would be but now they've encountered an obstacle they've encountered a challenge they've encountered a hardship and when they do they begin to panic which is often true for me and can be true perhaps for some of you. And as that happens, and as I was reading that scripture, it's almost as if I could hear the Lord say, did you see it, Mike? Did you see it? My people were willing to settle for less. My people were willing to settle for less. And, and I saw it. I reread the passage. I saw God's people were panicked. Because following the Lord at times can, can involve risk, can involve challenge. And they were willing to settle for less rather than to trust God to make a way where there seemed to be no way for them. 
But then I saw somebody else in the scripture passage. We saw that person today, right? As the passage was read and that person is God. There was not only the people of Israel, but God was there. And God was not willing to let them settle for less. So he, in, in an amazing way, makes a way where there seems to be no way and enables Israel to continue to follow him and to join him on the journey and to move into the purposes that he has. Now, my wife Debbie and my Lord and Savior know I'm a little bit slow. They both know they have to tell me something more than once for me to finally get it. And I'm meeting again with the Lord one day in the other passage we had read today, Luke chapter 15, the well-known story of the prodigal son and the father. And as I was meeting with the Lord in that passage, again, it's almost as if I heard the Lord saying, did you see it? Mike, did, did you see do you Do you see the son in the story? He's willing to settle for less. He's willing to settle for living as a slave rather than living as a son. And all the benefits and privileges and purpose that being a son or a daughter of God provides. But again, there's somebody else in the story. The father's there. And this father isn't willing to let his son settle for less. Even though the son says, hey, I, I'll just, just give me uh, some clothes on my back and some food to eat and a roof over my head. I'll be glad to settle for that. But no, no, the father's not going to settle for that. Bring the robe, bring the sandals, bring the ring. Let's kill the fatted calf. And I, I do love how the New Living Translation ends that passage. So the party began. I've always thought if anybody should know how to party, it should be us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And one day when the Vikings finally win the Super Bowl, you're going to party, right? I'll be waiting longer for the Arizona Cardinals to win the Super Bowl than you will that the Vikings to win it, by the way. Our story, even today, and the story of God's people throughout history can be that when we encounter challenge, when we encounter hardship, when we encounter an obstacle, the temptation can be to settle for less. And so I, I just ask us this morning, how do we settle for less? I mean, that could be something interesting to discuss in your why groups at some point in some time, to be thinking about that and to go around the table and how do I settle for less today? How am I settling for less? Well, there are uh, many, many ways to answer that. Let's just look at two this morning with this next slide highlighting the first. And that has to do with living, and I've changed this in my notes to God-given, God-declared identity. One of the ways I want to encourage us not to settle for less, to resist this temptation to settle for less, is to realize the identity we've been given and which has been declared over us and been bestowed upon us as daughters and sons of the living God. The most important foundation any of us can have for living a life of purpose and of peace and of joy is to know who we are and whose we are. I'm a son of God. I'm not the national director of, of a church association. I am, right? That's my function, but it's not my identity. I'm always thankful for knowing my identity. Bjorn mentioned I like to get out on the golf course, and, and we have a couple of golf courses in Arizona, just one or two down there. And 
most of the time when I go out, when I look at my scorecard, I'm glad my identity is not rooted in my golfing ability. I'm a son of God. Unfortunately, we live in a fallen world, right? And we live in a fallen world in which humankind has been tempted to doubt our truest, most foundational sense of identity. That being that we are daughters and sons of God. And the awareness of this foundational identity is so important that from the very beginning, the enemy of our souls, the devil, has tempted humankind to doubt the identity that God gives to us and declares over us. It begins in Genesis chapter 3, the first five verses. Let me read that for us. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. The shrewdest that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Did God really say? Question mark. You see, this is the enemy's strategy. It's been his strategy from the beginning, and it's so effective that it's still his strategy today. Where God puts a period, the enemy puts a question mark. That's all that he has to do. This strategy's been so effective, he even tried it out on Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, you might remember in that passage of Scripture, there's the stories of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. In the first three verses, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, Wait for it, wait for it, if... You are the son of God. When you use that word if, it immediately puts a question mark where there should have been a period or an exclamation point. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. The enemy goes on to tempt Jesus two more times with that phrase. If you are the son of God. Fortunately for us, the good news is that Jesus resisted that temptation because he knew who he was and whose he was. His identity was already determined and it was declared in his baptism by the Lord speaking over him. In Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I want to say to you, to myself, and to every one of you here, and all of you joining us today online, you are a precious daughter of God. You are a beloved son of God. That is your identity. That is your identity. But the world... The world system, the devil, and our own fallen flesh will tempt us to find our identity in things like appearance and body type, position and possessions. How many toys do you have? What position do you have? Title and prestige. What are the letters after your name or before your name? Your ethnicity and ancestry. In all of these ways, the enemy... And the world and our own flesh will, will tempt us to settle for less. 
and to find our identity in those things. But our identity has already been determined and been declared and been decided. And because it is, you and I no longer have to do in order to be. We no longer have to do in order to be. We can do because we already are. We no longer have to do. We no longer have to perform. We no longer have to serve. We no longer have to do good works to be loved and forgiven. We already are loved and forgiven. We don't have to do to be accepted and to belong. We are already fully and unconditionally accepted by the Lord and belong to this wonderful family of God worldwide. We no longer have to do to to become persons of great worth and value. We already are persons of great wealth and value. And we no longer have to do in order to be living lives of significance. You and I were created and designed by God on purpose, for a purpose. We no longer have to do in order to be our identity has been decided and declared in Christ. We are beloved daughters and sons of God. Let's not settle for anything less. The second thing I'd like to encourage us in today is don't settle for thinking someone else is the one when in fact you're the one. Now, I'm a big fan, and I'm, I'm going to age myself here a little bit. I'm a big fan of epic trilogies. So think Star Wars, the first trilogy, not the bad second trilogy. <laughs> think Lord of the Rings. Think uh, The Matrix. In each one, the, these epic trilogies remind us of a timeless truth that's important to remember. And that timeless truth is the one who does not seem like he's the one or she's the one, really is the one. So in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker's a farmer. Now there's nothing wrong with being a farmer, unless you've been called to be a Jedi Knight. And Thomas Anderson, Neo, he's just a computer, computer software guy. And Frodo, well, he's just this short, big-footed, hairy little halfling. But it's not Aragon, the king, the one with the flowing locks, which I had in the 1970s. The, not the one with the flowing locks, the good-looking guy with the big sword. He's not the one. It's Frodo who is the one. Friends, you are the one. You're the one in the very place where God's positioned you to be the one. Whoever is in that place needs you to be there. The place where you work, the neighborhood in which you live, the places where you play and relax, and being in the family that you have immediate and extended. You're the one who can impact the atmosphere, the emotional, relational, and spiritual atmosphere in each of those places. You're the one who can share your unique God story that somebody needs to hear. Not everybody needs to hear my unique God story. Not everybody needs to hear Pastor Bjorn's story or Sonia's story. They need to hear your story. And you're the one who can contend in prayer for God's purposes 
to be realized wherever that is. Whatever neighborhood, whatever school, whatever workplace. Don't settle for less by letting the enemy deceive you into believing that well, somebody else is the one. Well, Mike, you're the, you're the one who's up front speaking. I can't get out to everybody. I can't impact everybody. I can't impact everybody in the way that you can impact them. You are the one. About two years ago, I was privileged to witness God work through someone who didn't think she was the one, but she was in fact the one. We were uh, able to take a team to Cuba to minister in some house churches, some illegal house churches in Cuba about two or three years ago. As we spent time with the, the pastors in the upper right-hand corner, pastors Osmani and Uniette, and we fell in love with them and their house church, Heaven's Gate. At one point, we asked them, is there some way we could be praying for you? It was our last day in country. And we were amazed at their vulnerability and their transparency when they said, Yudiet has been told that she will never be able to have children. And they so badly wanted children. They were both crying as they shared this with us. And they, they said, uh, you can't understand how sad this is for us and how lost we feel. But what they did not know, what they could not know, but what their good, good father in heaven knew is that was the very same report that had been given to Jennifer Sellers in this picture with the four kids on the left, the person on the far right, Jennifer Sellers. She was the last person to join our team. She was an afterthought on the team. But it was Jennifer who was able to tell Osmani and Uniette her story of being told she would never have children. She and her husband, Graham. And for years, they tried to have children. For years, they were disappointed. And they were told repeatedly by doctor after doctor, you'll never have children. And there is a time and a place to have a, a healthy disrespect for the impossible, brothers and sisters. There's a time when God's superior reality can break in on our reality. Not that we need to deny our reality, but God's got something better. And at some point in time, God did the miraculous. And Jennifer had not one, not two, not three, but four children, including my godson in that helmet. I'm sorry, he's a Baltimore Ravens fan. I don't know where we went wrong. Samuel Michael Sellers. And Osmani and Uniette looked at, at Jennifer and said, will you pray for us? Well, Jennifer was up out of the chair in, in lickety-split time, and we gathered around Osmani and Uniette. That's her husband, Graham, standing beside her. My dear friend and my senior pastor of my home church down in Phoenix. But it wasn't Graham, Pastor Graham. It wasn't Pastor Mike who was the one. It was Jennifer Sellers. Jennifer Sellers, the self-described, I'm just a homemaker. Beloved, there's no such thing as just ah in the kingdom of God. And it was Jennifer who God knew was the one and who God made sure was on that team. And I'm happy to say now, I don't know if we have this next slide, that Uniette gave birth to twins 
Aaron and Zuri, I think I'm saying that right, Zuri. And they're a little bit older than that now. God broke in through the one who didn't seem like she was the one, but she was, in fact, the one. Well, let, let me tie this up for us here this morning. Now, there's many other ways, of course, that we all settle for less. How can we resist this temptation? One of the first things we can do is draw near to the Lord in prayer. We can actually be praying. You can be praying in your Y groups. You can be praying with some dear friends who, who you might be connected to here at the church. You might be praying with other people who love to pray here at the church and simply ask, Lord, am I settling for less? And if so, would you please show me how? And God will answer that prayer. He wants to answer that prayer. Now, it may take a time. You might pray for a day, for a week, for a month, for six months. But as you pray... Keep watching and listening to the Lord. As you meet with him in his word, as you hear his word preached here on a Sunday morning, as you meet in your Y groups during the week, as you're having coffee with somebody. I just had coffee at Dunn Brothers this morning with somebody up here in the area. You never know when God's going to answer that question or how he's going to answer that question. I was praying that prayer uh, some years ago. Lord, am I settling for less? And if so, how and i was meeting with the lord in luke 18 this is a story where the disciples want to shoo the children away but jesus says no let them come unto me and as i was reading that story it's as if i heard a thought yes michael you are i know i'm in trouble with the lord when he uses my full name michael fortunately he didn't use my middle name so i knew i wasn't in too much trouble but he said, yes, Michael, you have been settling for less. And in this way, you've allowed your faith to become too adult-like. And I, I, I thought, and I even prayed, well, Lord, what do you mean too adult-like? And the thought came, you've, you've allowed your faith to become too skeptical, too cynical, too adverse to taking risks. I want to restore childlike qualities to you. Now, not, not childish. I, I can be childish, but that's not what the Lord said. Childlike qualities. And then he began to show me what he meant in, in just all kinds of ways. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Please don't hold that against me. But down in Omaha at Christmas season, there is a street that's known as the street you got to go to. Because it's all the Christmas lights. And I remember as a kid being you know pressed up against the window in the back seat of my mom and dad's car my nose up against the windshield and i'm just in awe i mean look there's santa and rudolph and nativity scenes and lights kind of like in the christmas vacation movies and all the the lights and everything so debbie and i we were living in coon rapids before we moved to arizona and we thought let's go find that street in coon rapids so, so we did. We found a street that was known for its Christmas lights, and we were driving down it, and I realized my faith had become too adult-like when I heard this thought in my head. I wonder what their electric bills are. Where did that awe and wonder of being a kid, oh, look at that. I wonder what their electric bill is. And then I was watching an, an old episode of Friends, the TV show Friends. Now, most of you probably have not seen that because you're much holier than I am as, as a Christian. But I, I was a youth pastor. And youth pastors, we have to watch that kind of stuff. We have to go to movies and we have to watch TV shows and listen to music and, and eat a lot of pizza and, and what have you in order to stay connected with kids. It was a terrible call, but I was willing to suffer for Jesus 
for 20 years. So I'd be watching the, the TV show Friends, and if some of you did happen to quietly see that show, you'll remember there was a kind of an uptight gal, Rachel, played by Jennifer Aniston. And then there was crazy Phoebe Buffay, kind of this beatneck, uh, bohemian kind of gal who's just crazy. And they're running in Central Park one year. And Rachel, uptight and kind of wound tight, she knows how to run. I mean, knees and arms are, it's coordinated. And the breathing is coordinated with it. She knows how to run. And Phoebe's just kind of all over the place and legs are going everywhere. And, and it was embarrassing. And so Rachel decides, she makes up an excuse so she can't run with Phoebe anymore. But then Phoebe finds out she lied. And there's this confrontation, and Phoebe's wondering, why would you not want to run with me? And then Phoebe realizes, oh, you care what people think, don't you? And right away, I realize in my, in my mind and in my heart, that's what's happened to me in worship. And not that you have to exhibit any particular kind of physical manifestation when you worship or whatever, but I, I'd lost that, uh, just that abandonment of, of, of worship. We're going to sing one of, uh, of my favorite worship songs after this, I think, if I, if I saw things right. And, and I realized I'd just gotten too uptight. Well, I don't want to act out too much here or sing too loud, because what will people think? And the last thing was when Anna Grace prayed for me. We had this picture of this little girl right here. About 15 years ago, I was diagnosed with an incurable disease called alpha antitrypsin. And it's a disease that attacks your lungs and attacks your liver, and there's no known cure for it. My sister Kelly just went through a double lung transplant four years ago. My brother John is getting ready to go through a double lungs transplant. I have the disease. I still have the double gene disease. I should be getting ready for a double lung transplant, but one day I'm with my friend Graham, and Anna Grace was his youngest daughter, and at a year and a half, uh, she's getting ready to go to bed one night. I'm visiting them, and Graham says, Anna Grace, Mr. Mike's got an owie in his chest. Do you want to pray for him? And Anna Grace, year and a half, jumps up on, I'm sitting on the couch, she jumps up on my lap, slaps her hand on my chest and says, Mr. Mike, in Jesus' name, be healed. Amen. Gives me a kiss on the cheek, hug around the neck, and runs off to bed. Graham, you know, he, I mean, come on. He's proud as can be. What mom or dad wouldn't be? Hey, that's pretty, pretty cool, wasn't it, Mike? And I said, Graham, I think something just happened. And he said, wow, really? I mean, did, did you feel something? Did, did your chest get hot when she laid her hand on and prayed for you? He said, no, not really. Well, did you hear something? Did you, did you hear that inaudible but unmistakable voice of God say something? No, I didn't. And smoke didn't come up out of the floor and wind didn't blow through the room. I just, I think something happened. Well, the second half of that year's NCAA championship game was coming back on, so we went back to watching that. And I came home to Coon Rapids, told Debbie the story, and promptly forgot it. Until two months later, I was having my annual pulmonology checkup. They had to do three sets of x-rays this year instead of one. They had to do three breathing tests instead of one. The doctor came in late and said, Mike, I'm sorry, we had to just double and triple check some things because, and she slapped the 
the x-rays up on the, the screen as, as doctors do. And, and she said, you remember this x-ray from last year where this portion of your lung is eaten away. And here's this year's x-ray. Your lung is totally restored. And your breathing test that was in the 70 percentiles, you're now in the 90 percentiles. I don't know what to tell you, but your lung function has completely been restored. What has happened in the last year? Did you go to Mexico or Europe and get an experimental treatment or something? I said, no, ma'am. Has anything happened? And I said, no, no, not really. Well, one thing I was prayed for, and my doctor was a Christian, and she said, well, that might explain it, because we know God can answer prayers for healing. It's a mystery. It doesn't always get answered in the way we want it answered, but oftentimes he can, and and God has worked a healing in your life. I said, oh, but Dr. Nelson, you don't understand. The person who prayed for me was a year and a half old, and she laughed at me, and she said, well, of course, that explains it, and I said, what do you mean that explains it, and she said, Mike, You've been to seminary. You're the president of a seminary. You're a pastor. You know too much. And your mind and your theology gets in the way of what God wants to do. Your God box is too small and God blew it up through a person who's a year and a half old. One of the things I learned from Anna Grace, Mike, I want to restore childlike qualities to your life, is... Simply pray and pray simply. Mike, in Jesus' name, be healed. Amen. I would have gone on with some kind of, oh, goddess in the highest, most worthiest of all, you know, some big, long theological prayer. Anna Grace just simply prayed and prayed simply. Friends, let's not settle for less. Now, left to ourselves, we will. I will still. But let's not settle for less. Let's be asking God, Lord, how am I settling for less? Am I? And if so, how? And as you pray, pay attention to what begins to come to mind. What you begin to see in God's word. What you begin to hear in conversations. Share what God's showing you with somebody else. Share it with a friend. Share it with one of the pastors. And ask them to help you think it through and begin to pray about it. And then invite them to help you begin to develop a plan of action to position yourself so God can do what he wants to do in you. There's a a prayer, and I'll close with this, a prayer from the 20th century. The prayer is this, Lord, do whatever you need to do in me so you can do whatever you want to do through me. Now, Debbie and I have five kids, and when they were teenagers, I heard that word a lot. (laughs) Whatever. So I know what that means. It means whatever. God, do whatever you want to do in me, in, in, in transforming how I think, how I see, how I understand who you are, God, and how you want to speak and act in the world. Do whatever you want to do through me so you can do whatever you want to do through me. Because, beloved, the moment you think you're not the one, God's going to show you that you are the one and that there's somebody who needs to receive what you have to share with them. So I invite you to pray. Pray simply and to simply pray. And let me do that now as I close. And thank you again, Pastor Bjorn, for the invitation to be here. I I have already fallen in love with this church. Lord, 
pray that you would stir within me and my brothers and sisters here and those who are joining us online today. Lord, would you stir a longing in us to want to even know if we're settling for less? And then, Lord, stir us to pray and to ask you to show us. And, Lord, I pray you would answer the prayers that we're going to be praying now, tomorrow, next week, next month, and in the months to come. Through your word, through prayer, through conversations with one another, through circumstances, you're God. You can, you can answer this prayer however you want to, but show us how we're settling for less. And then act in our lives, Lord, so that we will be enabled by the power of your spirit to refuse that temptation and to live into all the purposes that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.